Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our members of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position along with your favorite beverage to enjoy the discussion. We remind our audience to examine our show notes attached to each of our shows to better understand how our program functions. Before we get into our discussion, we want to say thanks for questions coming from our audience at Smith Weekly, including Jared W., Tim A., Dave V., and Paul M. On the program today is a new guest of a returning company. Mr. Greg Smith is here with us. Greg is president of Equinox Gold, a growing mid-tier gold producer with operating mines and development projects spread around the Americas, including Brazil, Mexico, California, United States, and now Ontario, Canada. Equinox Gold is a portfolio holding at Smith Weekly Research. The company is listed on the New York Stock Exchange under the symbol EQX and also on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the symbol EQX. Mr. Smith, welcome to the show. It's good to chat. Morning, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Well, Greg, let's kick it off here. Your mile-high view of the gold market here, and what words would you like to pass to investors about the status of the mid-tier and junior gold sector equities? Well, on the, I guess on the gold market itself, you know, we've we've been pretty happy to see the price action, uh, in particular in the last few days. Gold is is looking strong, and you know, it's uh, we not that we predicted this, but we built this company in a gold bear market to take advantage of the gold bull market, and uh, you know, I think we're we're still in the early innings here, and it happened a lot quicker than we thought, probably with with uh, COVID coming. But I still think things look great for gold. You know, there's there's sort of unprecedented stimulus programs around the world, explosion in sovereign debt. Uh, you know, I think inflation is certainly becoming more and more of an issue, and and all these things I think are going to be good for gold. So, for gold, I, I mean, we're we're you know I hate to say we're perma bulls, but you almost have to be in this industry to an extent, and um, and we still feel there's a lot of upside potential for the gold price. And then in mid-tier space. It's interesting. I, I, I've, you know, I've been a big believer in in consolidation of of gold companies. There's, you know, a lot of management teams, a lot of chasing a lot of assets, and you can uh, really achieve some efficiencies and and I think increase in, in valuations and provide more returns to stakeholders through consolidation. And and there has been a lot of that recently, and, and you're starting to see, you know, a, a, a smaller pool of companies in the mid tier space. Uh, smaller pool companies in the senior space, but you know, as it always happens in a in a bull market, you're seeing a bit of an explosion in the junior space. And so, over time, that that tends to correct itself, right, with with consolidation up into the mid tier space and and then further into the senior space. But you look at you look at our our peer group and and companies are doing a lot of good things, right? They've they've got strong balance sheets. They're making good money at at these gold prices. And uh, and many of them are are building new new projects, including us. So I, I think it's a pretty healthy market right now for the mid-tier gold space. Greg, I appreciate your views on this, and we have a lot of room to run here on a, a number of things, and we are early stages. And you know, given you bring up mergers and acquisitions, are you of the view that valuations are still cheap for purposes of acquiring pipeline development projects? And then also just touch a little bit more on you know broad sector M and A here at the senior mid-tier and also major level do you think these market conditions are still very you know sound for acquiring value projects much like 
Equinox has built a portfolio of generally bear market acquisitions thus far? What's your thoughts? Yeah, it's a big question. You know, I think that certainly in the gold space, the, the valuations of companies are well below what they historically should be given the gold price. So when you look at the at the population of gold companies in aggregate, I think that they're trading at very attractive valuations, particularly where the price is today and where I think it's going to go uh, in the future. When you're looking at M&A within that space, of course, relative valuation is 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 one of the most important aspects. And you know, I I tend to focus on more of a micro level, you know, Equinox specific. And we we kind of set our our broad you know our broad strategic goals, and then we look at things uh, to buy that's going to you know move us toward that goal or achieve that goal. And we're always looking at two specific things, um, you know, looking at 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 transactions that'll increase our intrinsic value per share, you know, on a per share basis, the gold in the ground cash flow, production, uh, you know, net asset value, all of those things on a per share basis. But then we also look at things that we think are going to increase uh, our multiple, our trading multiple, you know, what, what uh, and particularly on a, on a price to net asset value basis. And that could be different things, right? That could be geography or stage of development or, you know, near term uh, cash flow. Um, and then also the optionality that comes with with um, increasing scale, right? Where you deploy your capital, whether you build or not build, and, and the optionality to then buy additional projects. So we, we, we look at a lot of different things. And, and so when you, when you take that approach, you know, regardless of where the market is, you can, you can often see transactions that could add value to your shareholders and, and stakeholders. You know, from Equinox's perspective today, we are trading at a fairly low you know, price to net asset multiple, that does make it a lot more challenging to do transactions that are going to be accretive. Not that we are, you know, growth at any cost, but we're a growth oriented company. We're open to M&A, but at this stage, uh, particularly given what we're working on right now, I think we're probably less focused on it than we have been. But that's not to say that that uh, opportunities, you know, if an opportunity presented itself, we wouldn't take advantage of it. So, you know, it's kind of a long, a long-winded answer to to maybe a, a more straightforward question, but I think that whether it's a bear market or a bull market, if you're looking for transactions that add value, you can do it because relative value is uh, you know is is a lot more important than absolute value. If you get what I mean. Yeah, I think you're right, and we'll talk about the the discount here in a little while. As far as you know, Equinox general underperformance at this point, just you know recently, uh, I don't think that's you know indicative of what's to come. But you bring up a good point. For example, the valuation change when Equinox spun out Solaris, the value of those assets at the time of spin out versus the value of those assets today, night and day difference, Greg, as you know, the premier acquisition, for example. And then as you stated, there's still some assets out there. And I'm sure you and Christian and Ross know what those assets are that are in your jurisdiction zones that you guys like to look at that are still inexpensive today and that to me makes a lot of sense even at today's prices gold prices those assets are still undervalued big enough to make the needle move still for the company but i've reiterated and you guys know this very well that during a bull market or you know periods of undervaluation it makes sense to build that pipeline and to do it in a meaningful way and it's just like for example if you look at the uranium sector 
this is a sector that has not had any M&A consolidation during a bear market, which has been silly stupid by the actors in that space. Now, maybe that'll change. Whereas copper companies, gold companies, et cetera, some of them have made very smart moves, including Equinox here. So it's, it is an interesting point in time uh, for this market. Um, you're probably new to some of our audience here. Why don't you cover your background for us real quick, Greg, and then also how you come to focus specifically on Equinox Gold, which is where you spend most of your time. Yeah, sure. Um, well, I'm a, I'm a chartered accountant by trade. I, uh, I went graduated from the University of Victoria in BC and, and then got my uh, designation shortly thereafter while I articled at KPMG. And I was in KPMG's mining group in, in Vancouver. And, and so really I've been in mining my whole career, um, first as a, you know, on the audit side and advisory side. And then in 2006, I moved over to uh, the corporate side and went to go work for Goldcorp. Uh, for, for really what was a pretty brief period, uh, right after they had acquired uh, the Placer Dome assets, and, and then uh, I left shortly after the Glamis Gold transaction, and went and became the CFO of a company called Mindfinders Corporation. And uh, we built a mine in Mexico, ultimately sold that company, uh, and, and uh, I took on some executive roles uh, after that at a, at a couple different gold companies. And then in, in uh, 2016, uh, we we um, merged a couple of companies together with a with a plan to go you know build a multi asset gold company and then in 2017 is when uh, Ross uh, myself and Christian Malau and Richard Wark basically founded Equinox Gold with a with a transaction that had us then trading right at the beginning of 2018 as Equinox and Equinox really um, is is reflective of you know our collective desire to go build you know, meaningful, profitable, multi-asset gold company of scale and try and do it quickly, try and do it, you know, uh, effectively in a way that's positive for our shareholders and stakeholders. And um, and, and at the time, you know, uh, take advantage of, of where the gold market was. It was it was trading, uh, you know, very low. I think it bottomed out there in December 2015 and, and, uh, and things were inexpensive. There were assets available and uh, with, Strong shareholders like Ross and Richard and, and Lucas Lundin and and other um, parties, we were able to pick up some assets uh, with cash fairly inexpensively and, and build this company. But you know the the goal, my goal personally, I, I love this industry. I love mining. I love the people. I love the whole uh, industry in general, and in particular gold and precious metal side. And so um, I just really enjoy building these companies and you know improving mines and, and trying to create value in this space and. And so for me, it's been great. You know, it's, it's my career has been very focused, but but I've really enjoyed it. And I mean, as you know, Andrew, you kind of see everything in this space. You're you're always dealing with geology and and metallurgy and social issues and political issues and, and jurisdiction and and uh, you know commodity markets and and the stock market and financing. And there's just so many different aspects uh, to the space that that keeps it very interesting. It's an incredible space and it can do so much. Not everybody does this, but you can do so much with the economic improvement of countries you operate in, the local community enhancement that can happen, the money that can be made, of course, when the commodity cycles are correct and you do that right. And then on top of that, all of this is so critical for global infrastructure, global finance, whether you look at base metals, precious metals, which again are becoming metals that are used industrially as well. 
so important to just about everything. As you know, it, it's either mined or it's grown. And if it's grown, typically some of the stuff that goes into growing, it comes from mines. So it's a fascinating market, Greg. It really is. Well, on the personal side, give us a flavor for the Greg Smith portfolio. What natural resource sectors are you investing in today? You know, we know Equinox is a large holding of yours, but uh, maybe you can give us a flavor for your own portfolio. Yeah, it's um, it's an incredibly irresponsible portfolio when you're a guy with a you know a wife and kids and and uh, and uh, <laughs> thinking about the future. It's it's almost 100% in in natural resources and and probably way too much on the speculative side. Uh, definitely, uh, the majority is would be in my own you know in companies that I have some uh, influence over, right? So that would be Equinox, Solaris Resources, which we which we spun out of Equinox. I um, I just participated in the financing for I-80 Gold, which is a new Nevada gold company that um, was spun out of our acquisition of Premier. I also, you know, have, have got a bunch of different silver names and and um, some smaller copper names as well, and, and also some some of the sort of battery metal uh, type companies. And I, I keep a pretty um, you know broad range of companies, and and as you know, some of them do great, and and often uh, many of them don't. I like to invest at the at the private placement level or even pre-public, and, and I'm willing to to take that risk and hold, you know, for the long term, and, and give good management teams an opportunity to execute on the business plan. So I definitely like, you know, companies where I know the people involved. I know that you know they're the never say die type of type of people that are gonna gonna work hard and and, and work for for shareholders and all stakeholders and and try to create value. And, and when it works out, great. And if it doesn't, at least I know they gave it their best shot. So, you know, again, I, I stick with what I know, right? And like a lot of people do and, you know, knock on wood so far, it's worked out pretty well for me and uh, and hopefully, and I think we'll continue to do so, but you've got to have a, a thick skin and an iron stomach to invest in this space uh, the way I do. And, and actually the way a lot of uh, my peer group do, you know, the people that, that uh, I work with and associate with mostly same, they, they take the same approach, right? As they take big risk, but as you said earlier, uh, when uh, the market hits, you can make a lot of money doing that. So it's not for the faint of heart, but it's again, it's, it's what I know, right? And so I, I feel like it's a it's a risk I'm willing to take because I can mitigate it with you know my experience in the space. Thanks for sharing that with the audience, Greg. I appreciate it. Hopefully, there's a couple of uranium stocks you're looking at as well to add to your portfolio, but that'll be a separate conversation. <laughs> Certainly understand the volatility, fascinating market across the board here. So on Equinox, the company recently completed the acquisition of Premier Gold. Post-transaction, can you just highlight for us where we are on capital structure, including the cash, the shares out, and also the major holders at this point? So uh, we just closed that transaction right after Q1 there, so in, in early April. And that brought in the uh, the Greenstone Gold project in Ontario, uh, the Mercedes mine in Mexico, and then uh, some other uh, earlier stage projects also in in uh, Ontario, Canada. And uh, so, with the closing of the transaction, common shares outstanding is just under 300 million, and uh, we're sitting on cash of about 350 million. Uh, we've got uh, credit available under our revolving credit facility of another 200 million. So we're, we're well capitalized in terms of, of our liquidity. We've got, um, you know, our interest in IAD Gold uh, post-closing, which is 
I think worth around 130 to 150 million Canadian. And you know, the company's in good shape to finance, you know, whatever we need to finance in terms of our of our growth programs. Uh, so, you know, it was a it was an interesting transaction for us because we were able to do it, you know, at an at market basis, uh, but with the Spinco, the IED Spinco. And um, when you when you take into account the value of that Spinco and the valuation of the other assets, I think we got the Greenstone Gold project at a very attractive price. And um, you know, for for the people in in Greenstone, certainly, and and uh, this, the other stakeholders of that mine, you know, with Orion as our partner, obviously we're we're totally financed to execute on on that build. That's not to say we wouldn't look at, at potentially doing some debt financing. In addition to that, we've got a very low. Uh, in fact, we have no net debt if you exclude our convertible notes, which are way in the money. So we've got some capacity to. Uh, debt finance a, par- a portion of that build, but otherwise we're in great, you know, great financial shape in terms of our balance sheet, and um, you know I think we've been able to maintain a pretty conservative capital structure through this M&A process. Greg, my question is on that, and it is a good deal, by the way, with the timeline you guys have. Certainly, the good potential for you guys to run the share price up cash flows, gold price improvement, cash flows from existing operations, et cetera. It could be quite possible that you guys could advance this with very little debt, uh, depending on the timing and depending on how things go with gold price and, and also the share price. Am I right? Yeah, I mean, we you know, we model this a couple of different ways. And at spot prices, spot gold prices, everything looks fantastic. Obviously, we we have to, you know, we have to prepare for a situation where gold prices could come down in the context of, of uh, building out our capital program. So when you look at it from that perspective, um, it's not the worst thing in the world to have access to some additional capital. But you're right. I mean, if, if gold prices hold where they are and the mines perform the way we expect them to do it, then you could finance it 100% without debt, right? We could do it all internally. And our partner, uh, Orion Mine Finance, you know, they're obviously fully financed to take care of their portion of that capital build. So it's, you know, again, I, I think we're in really good shape, but you always got to protect the downside risk. So that's uh, that's an area that we do take seriously. And and so we are, you know, assessing what makes the most sense for Greenstone. Yeah, it's interesting. I know you guys have increased your stake on that project as well. You have a good financier in Mubadala in the uh, share roster already. A lot of good space there, a lot of deep pockets, if you will. On that subject, to jurisdictions. You guys added Canada as a new jurisdiction for Equinox. With Greenstone now with Canada added in, you know, there's probably a few places that remain on the table that you probably like. But let me ask you as as the time goes on here and you guys continue to evaluate the market and your projects, et cetera, and the jurisdiction risk, would a place like Chile, Alaska, or a place like Ecuador remain on the radar for the company? Oh, I think so. We've been focused on the Americas and we're, you know, we're, we're, we're branding and, and focusing on being the premier America's gold producer. But, um, you know, there's a quote and I can't remember where I heard it, but I, I tend to use it, which is that God, you know, God created gold, but the devil spread it around. And you really have to go where the gold is. You know, sometimes, you know, some jurisdictions are better than others, but they can also change on a dime, you know, and there was a period of time where Ecuador was a no-go zone. Uh, for a number of years, 
And now um, Ecuador, you know, really is looking like a much more attractive jurisdiction. And, and certainly the experience I think that we've had with Solaris in uh, in Ecuador has it's in the last, you know, three or four years has been fantastic and is looking good going forward as well. So, you know, jurisdiction risk can change. And so you, you can't, you know, stress too much uh, about the jurisdiction at any given time. You really have to look at the quality of the assets, how they fit into your portfolio, what kind of value you can create from them, and and then work on whether you can manage that jurisdictional risk uh, to the extent it might be higher than another jurisdiction. So I I don't know that we're we're too choosy. I mean, there's certainly some places we we just wouldn't go, uh, but um, I think we're we're very open to you know expanding beyond where we already are. And you know, with with Greenstone and, and bringing Canada into the portfolio, you know, that was important. We're you know we're our head offices in Canada. Uh, we obviously know Canada very well. It's one of the top mining jurisdictions in the world, in, in particular Ontario. And you know, when you're when you're focused on the long game, uh, which we certainly are at Equinox, you know, if you can find assets of scale in good jur jurisdictions at good valuations and you have an opportunity to acquire those like we had with Greenstone um, or Premier, you know, you really got to take advantage of those opportunities because I think that the addition of Canada into our portfolio, I think, you know, I think the economics of the transaction were great, but I also think the long-term benefit to the company in terms of our trading multiple and the value to our shareholders in terms of risk diversification is, is even more attractive by bringing in, you know, meaningful uh, exposure to Canada. And so we, we definitely look at things like that. And, and Chile, you know, it's there's been, you know, some rhetoric in the news and, and the government's making noise about increasing uh, the taxes and royalties and that type of thing. But it's also a top tier mining jurisdiction. And, uh, you know, I don't see, you know, a mass exodus out of Chile anytime soon. You know, it's just it's it's all I think always going to be an attractive place to be. Yeah, certainly agreed. And Nicaragua tends to tick a lot of boxes, uh, at least in my experience. And they've treated things pretty well there with Caliber and, of course, B2 starting up in that country, being a, a pretty significant uh, force there. And, of course, you know you know Peru really well. Uh, Peru has various challenges, but it also can be amenable. So I think yeah, there's some good opportunity on that front. On the premier transaction, I want to go back because you said something there. Have you guys noticed that trying to get some of these value deals done in this market, have you guys ran into challenges with management teams just not being amenable to discussion, arrogance and egos coming into some of these transactions to where they just basically get shut off because people are just not willing to do deals at these levels? Maybe talk about that and maybe you can just give the audience a flavor for how long the negotiations for the premier acquisition took place. Well, I'll say right off, right off the bat that we certainly did not run into that situation with Premier, and um, so I can come back back to the uh, to the Premier transaction itself. Uh, you know, just generally, you know, of course, you know, I I, I spend a lot of my time um, researching companies, uh, and if I see, you know, a potential opportunity that could be interesting, and 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 often I'll look at it from the perspective of both companies. You know, I'll make those phone calls and. You know, it's amazing how many times you'll just get a, you know, a response back. Thanks, but no thanks. I don't even want to have a conversation. And that always surprises me. I, uh, I think it, it always makes sense for companies to be, to be, to be talking. Um, you know, relative valuation, I think, is, is more important than absolute valuation. And so, especially when you're talking about, 
you know, at market mergers where you're using shares and it's, these aren't cash transactions, right? When you look at it from that perspective, it is, it is surprising to me. You, you do run into, you know, whether it's ego or whether it's just a, a, you know, every company thinks they're undervalued, but if every company's undervalued, that should still be opportunities, right? To, uh, sure. to merge on a relative valuation basis. So certainly you see it. We try not to be that way. Um, you know, I think Christian, myself, are, we're, we're very commercial guys. You know, Ross has been in this industry forever and 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 really understands uh, how to to do these types of transactions such that they benefit both parties and and you know the shareholders, especially if you're using shares, the shareholders of the target company become your shareholders. So, you know, you've got to do things that benefit everybody and and make sense for everybody. And and that's the the, the approach we tried to take as we built this company. And Premier was exactly that. You know, we both, Ross and, and Christian and I have met you and in the past, you and Downey, who's the, the CEO and, um, you know, have been watching Premier and, and what they've been doing. And there were some challenges there. I mean, it, it was public that uh, that they were in a, a dispute with Sentara and uh, about Greenstone, who was their joint venture partner. And, 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 you know, they had been working on doing a spin out of their U.S. assets. And there was just a lot going on with the company. And I guess it was August last year. Ross had a conversation with you and, and, and then I also had a conversation with you and then we, and we just kind of walked through where they were at with uh, the Greenstone project. And it wasn't, you know, it hadn't been sort of top of mind for us up until then. We weren't really looking for a transaction. We had just closed the acquisition of Legald. Uh, and, uh, and so, you know, COVID had hit and, um, you know, we, we really just were not, you know, focused on finding another, another acquisition at that time. But, um, you know, what was happening at Greenstone was just so, it was just a rare situation where you had, you know, an asset of scale and quality. You know, it's one of the highest grade open pit deposits of scale in Canada. It'll be one of the top three or four largest mines in Canada once it's in, in production, gold mines in Canada. Uh, it was, you know, fully permitted. It had a great team uh, ready to execute on construction. It had you know, good social and community support in the region, fantastic infrastructure. And, you know, it was trading at a valuation that made sense for us. And it, it also helped us accomplish our long-term, you know, our long-term uh, goals in the company, our strategic focus. So once once we kind of saw the opportunity for what it was, um, you know, we really, we really, you know, hit the ground running and, and uh, we did a, a, a huge amount of due diligence fairly quickly. Um, with Orion in the mix and, and enable, you know, their, their transaction with Sentara, uh, that brought in a, you know, a non-mining partner, but a great financial partner for us. They, uh, you know, they were flexible on, you know, the ultimate ownership in the company. And so we were able to negotiate with Orion to acquire an additional 10% of the project, which brought us up to 60% and the majority holder. And so it, it really was kind of serendipitous It all, fell into place and and um, was a bit of a complicated transaction, but you know ultimately worked out and and the creation of IED gold of which we're a thirty percent shareholder, you know that was great for the premier shareholders, and I think it's ultimately uh, going to be great for equinox shareholders through our interest. I, I think uh, IED is going to do some really cool things in Nevada and, and continue to grow value there. so um, you know Ewan and, and his team were were really good to work with. I think they saw the opportunity of of you know, maintaining uh, their plans to spin out the U.S. assets to the premier shareholders, and then also putting the Greenstone deposit into hands 
that could you know develop it in the near term, which was you know which is what the local indigenous communities wanted to see. The you know the municipality of Greenstone, uh, certainly the team on the ground there, and and you know that mine is is you know kind of screaming to be built. So it, it really was a, a transaction I think that that benefited everybody, all the stakeholders in the region of Greenstone, uh, the premier shareholders, and and also the Equinox shareholders. I mean. You know, it's a big development project to to roll into our our already development heavy uh, portfolio. I think that's probably a, a, a significant reason why we're trading at a lower multiple, because uh, development assets just trade at lower multiples, and we've you know sort of doubled down on development here recently. But again, you know, we're talking about a year, two years, three years before that development plays out into production. And the Greenstone uh, mine is going to be a cornerstone asset for us. You know, it's going to be, uh, you know, the, the largest mine in the portfolio right up there with Los Filos. So uh, it was, you know, it was kind of a, uh, I think we, can, we came to terms pretty quick with Ewan and, and came to a, a, a plan to merge the companies pretty quickly. And, and then it was just a matter of trying to execute that in the middle of a global pandemic. But uh, it all worked out. And, and like I said, I think it's going to be a great transaction for everybody. It just makes sense across the board, and I don't see the disconnect in the development side. All of the projects you guys are working on developing are either in operation already, expansion projects, or they're permitted. So I don't see why there's a disconnect. But again, happy to enjoy that disconnect as a buyer. You know, it's, so that thought, you know that Andrew, you can do you can do like I I look at this all day, and you know we've I agree with you. We've got you know you look at we've got what 16 million ounces in reserves. They're all sitting at permitted projects, permitted or operating uh, projects. We got 30 million in resources almost, and 29 million of those uh, MI resources are sitting at permitted, operating, or in development projects. And so I think from a risk profile, our development projects are certainly lower risk, but it doesn't change the fact that that a good chunk of our NAV is our net asset value is in our development, right? And so that those that portion of our net asset value is going to trade to the lower multiple. It's going to be reflected in the share price. The good news is, and this is, I think, where you were going, is that these aren't grassroots. These aren't early stage. These aren't PEA. These are assets that are going to be in production. This growth is going to happen. It's fully financed. It's permitted. It's in progress. So by the end of this year, you have, you know, we have Santa Luz construction complete. We've got a big chunk of the Los Filos expansion uh, advanced. We've we've completed the the stripping programs at Mesquite and RDM, and you you know, so you get a bunch of it out of the way. You know, your our production increases materially next year. We then are in the in the construction period of Greenstone, and that's only a couple of years. And then, you know, boom, you're through that period. The vast majority of your NAV is now in producing assets. And I just think it's inevitable that we'll start to see that valuation change over time. And I, and I think it'll be as soon as, you know, moving into the third and fourth quarters of this year, because a lot of what we're doing now starts to pay those dividends in Q4 and certainly going into 2022. Castle Mountain is an expansion. It's an amendment. It's nothing too complicated. Los Filos, same thing. Mesquite, you guys have options there on your existing grounds and surrounding grounds right there as far as other ounces that are amenable to that mine and facility. So again, it's not anything that's uh, too terribly complicated. I mean, obviously there's execution risk, but the financing side with the production 
you know, cash flow underpending that, and then also just your the deep pockets of the f financiers out there that are associated with the company. I, I just don't see the concern. So, yeah, good stuff. You know, I was going to ask you for an operations update. I think folks mostly catch all that, but uh, where do you guys think you're going to land here? You guys have guided a certain amount of ounces. Uh, where do you think you're going to land on that for this year? Uh, maybe just give us a brief operations update. Yeah, we we, we just reported our Q1 results, gosh, two weeks ago. And uh, at that time, we, we did reiterate our guidance uh, between 600 and 665,000 ounces. Um, cash costs will be, you know, in that sort of 950 to $1,000 range. And then our all-in sustaining costs are around 1200 bucks this year. And this year is really characterized by a, um, you know, an improving production profile and cost profiles the year advances. And that's because in Q1 and, and into Q2, we're undertaking a large stripping campaign at Mesquite, a large stripping campaign at RDM. We're in the process of, of stripping the Guadalupe open pit at Los Filos. We're just getting into development of the Burma Hall underground at Los Filos. And a lot of those activities, you know, start to, to, to pay dividends as you move through Q3 and into Q4. So it's an increasing production profile. And along with that comes a decreasing cost profile. And then at the end of the year, we'll be finished our construction of the Santa Luz mine. We've, uh, we've made great progress at Santa Luz. We're about 40% complete today. And uh, mining uh, at Santa Luz is gonna start up sometime in the next few months here, uh, in the middle of summer. So, you know, from a, an operating perspective, and a development perspective, we're more or less uh, on track with 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 our guidance, and, and hence reiterated it. You know, Los Filos has been you know, it's a big it's a big mine. We we lost you know nine months last year as a result of COVID and and some social issues at the mine, and so we're in a bit of a catch up mode at at Los Filos, and uh, and so that's the one where where you know a lot of effort and a lot of focus needs to be. Uh, to make our guidance, but but things are going well there, and um, you know things have really turned the corner after after we got back into production there in December. But there's always a period to wrap back up, and and we went through that in Q1. So um, so the operations are, are are going well. You know Q2 is is kind of the same as Q1, and then in Q3 Q4 we really just start to see these activities pay off. You guys got a lot of stuff on your plate. There's no doubt about that. So I can see why you and Christian are working 18-hour days. So some of these smaller projects, now you guys you know, indicated that some of your smaller projects are, are certainly on the table if, if should there be a good buyer that come along. Does that remain to be the case with some of these smaller projects that are sub you know, 60,000 ounces a year, roughly? What's your thoughts on some of those non-core assets? Well, I, I think, you know, I think we demonstrated that with the recent sale of our Pilar mine in Brazil. And, uh, you know, that was our, our smallest and also our, our highest cost asset, um, had been operating well for us. I think it did $20 million of free cash flow last year. And so it was a good mine for us, but in terms of its scale, it's, you know, it's future potential in the context of our, our overall portfolio and, um, you know, a, a reasonable offer on the table to buy it, it, it made sense to sell that one. So that, that, you know, that's a good example of us, you know, optimizing the portfolio. I think there's other opportunities. You know, we have um, some of our other mines, you know, we just acquired the Mercedes mine. We've got RDM in Brazil. Again, they're good mines, you know, and it's always hard to sell a good mine, 
you know, the gold price is doing well, so they're making good cash. But that also, you know, in a good market is sometimes the best time to sell a mine as well. So uh, we've got no immediate plans uh, to do that, but um, I wouldn't take it off the table, you know, where where if we had a, a an attractive offer on one of our smaller projects and it made sense to redeploy that capital uh, into into growth. I think that it's something we would certainly consider, but it's not necessarily a priority right now, given we, you know, given we just sold Pilar and we also uh, sold a small portion of our Solaris interest recently as well. Understood. Greg, I want to move on to community work here first at Los Filos. Uh, what initiatives will be ongoing at Los Filos to keep relations in good standing with the community and post uh, resolution on some of the issues? How are relations at this point? Yeah, that was a real tough uh, period last year with um, with the community issues at Los Filos. It was, you know, there's three primary communities there and one of them um, uh, did uh, put a blockade up and and so that did shut down the mine for a period of months uh, in late Q3 and Q4 last year. And, you know, it's always, it's always a bit of a challenge to drill down and, and figure out what the underlying issue is. You know, everybody, all the communities want to see Los Filos operating. Everybody benefits substantially from it. Um, you know, the, it, there's very attractive social and, and, and profit sharing and, and, you know, contractual relationships with the communities in that region. And so it's not a situation there where it's, where it's anti-mining, uh, so to speak. It, it's more just, you know, how big is the pie and, and how much does everybody get? And I, I think what happened there was we had a, you know, we had a social uh, collaboration agreement with all three communities. Um, and, uh, you know, I think the interpretation of that agreement is where things went a little sideways. Uh, and so, you know, over time, uh, quite a long period of negotiation over several months, uh, clause by clause by clause in that agreement between us and the community, you know, it was redrafted and I think substantially improved in terms of its clarity and, and, you know, specific provisions on how it should be implemented. And really just to eliminate the gray areas and the areas where interpretation could be an issue. And, and certainly there were uh, some improvements for the community in that agreement. And, um, and so, you know, hopefully they're happy with that. Certainly we're happy with, with where things ended up. But the bottom line is, you know, these communities are, they're not just local communities. There are employees, there are contractors, there, you know, there are partners in, in the mine and, and it's the same at all our mines. And so, you know, you have to really focus on 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 making sure that they're benefiting adequately from the mine and that they're treated with with the respect they deserve, and you know, really treat them like partners. And and that's the that's that's our focus. That's our intent. You know, we're trying to make sure we've got the right people down there uh, to make sure that's happening, and 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 really focus on ensuring that uh, that relation stays uh, strong and and positive. So I, I mean, things are good now. You know, we, we, the blockade came down late last year. We've ramped up. People are back to work. The agreement's been, been, been signed. I think everybody in good faith uh, really collaborated, you know, over a long, long days uh, to get that done. But it was mutual collaboration and, and between us and the community to get there. And so uh, things are good there. But as you say, the key is, is maintaining that. And, and that just means we need to be vigilant and, and, keep those channels of communication open and and make sure that if there are issues they're brought up 
early enough for us to deal with them before things get you know out of hand or go too far. So, you know, really happy with with where things are at. You know, obviously it was disappointing last year to have the mines shut down for so long, uh, especially after the shutdown with COVID. It, you know, we lost a lot of time there, and unfortunately that kind of affects everybody, including our employees and the communities. But we're back on track and you know play, playing a bit of catch up here, and I think uh, uh, it'll be good moving forward. This is hard work, and for the people that ask the question about what are you doing on ESG, the people who are most of them that are asking this question have no idea the amount of blood, sweat, stress, and tears that happens um, trying to actually execute on the ground with community work. So I just want to point that out, and I suspect also that this project, Los Filos, is very important to this community, and so there's a mutual benefit and relationship that happens here. But uh, is there anything at Los Filos as far as the community work that you wanted to point out as far as initiatives that you guys are currently working on? There's always so much, you know, we're, we're, we're always building and, and assisting with infrastructure, you know, part of the, the um, disagreement, but it existed previously is, is working with the communities on ensuring they've got, you know, the, the ability to bid on good contracts and have the resources to bid on those contracts. Um, you know, again, making sure that as much as possible, they're able to benefit from from the project. And you know, we're we're in a, we're in a growth phase here. We're we're um, you know bringing on the Guadalupe pit. We're bringing on the, the Burma Hall underground. Eventually, we're going to be looking to build a processing plant at Los Filos. All of these things are are big capital projects that'll benefit that that mine for the long term. And um, and 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 so making sure the communities are sort of aware of the plans, on board with the plans, participating in that growth. I mean, that's key, and that's really where the focus is. There's a million other things, right? Scholarships, there's medical care, there's education, there's infrastructure, there's things that are happening all the time. But the big prize really is just making sure that mine is profitable, it's robust, it continues to add life, and it'll be there for the long term. Appreciate you sharing some details on that, Greg. At Arizona, there's been some accusations by some groups that Equinox is responsible for impacts resulting from extraordinary flooding that occurred in the region recently. What is the status on this matter and what is the company doing to sustain community relations as well as operations at Arizona? Don't believe everything you hear or read for that matter, uh, especially in, in social media. You know, what did happen was in March, there was a 10,000 year rain event. And that event resulted in widespread flooding through the whole region where the Arizona mine is located. Several rivers, lakes, lagoons, ponds flooded, overflowed, and increased the turbidity in the number of drinking water sources. And so you also had road, you know, roads washed out and all sorts of issues with, with local infrastructure. So that 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 was a big issue and um you know from from an equinox perspective we um you know we acted very quickly uh, first in ensuring that that road access was um was restored for you know both for the community and for the mine we assisted with with uh, transportation of community members in the meantime over areas where the road had been washed out you know, the increased turbidity in some of the drinking water sources caused issues with the water treatment plant for the local community. We assisted with that by, by helping with, um, with um, both maintenance and upgrading that water treatment facility. Ultimately, uh, we believe, and I, I, in the community I think agrees, that it really does need to be 
substantially upgraded and so we are building a new water treatment facility for the community and you know and we assisted with drinking water we made sure that bottled water and, and potable water was delivered throughout the community over that process so you know in terms of our relationship with the community at Arizona I think it's very very strong they uh, I think they recognized that you know it was a very very challenging situation for everybody and uh, the company did as much as was possible uh, to assist over that period and again you got to remember Andrew that you know the people in the community are our employees there are contractors there you know there are partners in this project so it's to everyone's collective benefit to make sure that you know substantial issues like that get resolved quickly so there was no you know the, the media uh, and probably more social media had reported tailings dams breach and, and things like that and none of that occurred at all um, and uh, and so you know what actually happened was was very different than um, what some of those reports said for sure. Greg, I appreciate you setting the record straight on that and also for the efforts there. You know, every mine in a development project in this business has at least one environmental critic, no matter what. Some issues are valid, some are not. I would just say continue to make efforts to support the community and resolve any issues. You know, of course, should they have merit fully understood on the rain? Even here in Panama, the double hurricanes that came across that landed in Nicaragua, 500 plus miles in a straight line from where I am, resulted in a number of uh, hydro facilities uh, being very, very overwhelmed with water that were unexpected, mudslides that uh, impacted the community. You're absolutely right. Uh, the turbidity levels, uh, when you open up your faucet and there's chocolate coming out, um, <laughs> you can get a good idea <laughs> of yeah. what's going yeah. on and, of course, how that affects facilities whether it's water treatment, filters, uh, et cetera. So I appreciate the information on that. And Greg, wrapping up, you and I talked about the discount. We've talked about some of the underperformance of the shares relative to some of the other peers in the sector on days when you know GDX is up and gold is up, et cetera. We've seen some of that happen. And, and you and I have discussed this at length on this chat. For potential investors who are on the sidelines listening here, Market cap of Equinox stands about 2.75 billion US dollars. What would you say to them about entering Equinox Gold at current levels? I think the opportunity is now. I mean, we, you know, we are just like you said, we have underperformed, uh, but we're not in a situation where where we're not on the path for that to resolve. I mean, we're you know 600 to, to 665 thousand ounces this year, but with Santa Luz coming on at the end of the year. The advancement at Los Filos, the you know the completion of stripping of mesquite production increases substantially in 2022, and so you know that is a that is a you know you never want to use the word inevitable, but it's financed, it's happening, and production is going to be increasing. So you know it's a pretty clear path uh, to increase production, increase cash flow, and I think both of those things are good, going to be reflected in the multiple that we trade at. You know, we just did some M&A as well um, with the completion of the premier deal. You're always going to have some chop in your stock as, as uh, new shareholders digest the shares. Uh, maybe they're not natural Equinox shareholders and they sell and, and, and they're keeping I-80 or whatever the case is, right? There's always going to be some arbitrage that happens and, and some uh, choppiness in the trading post-transaction. But as we move through the next couple of quarters here, um, and in particular Q3, Q4 this year, you know, the market is going to see increasing production, decreasing costs, advancement on our on our uh, growth projects, and you know 
that's that's value add and that should start to reflect in our multiple going forward greg and the best way for investors uh, to reach out to the company we've got a website equinoxgold.com and there's a, a contact page there you can reach out to Berlin bailey uh, through that website you know christian and i are always available to talk to investors if they want to have a chat with us as well and uh, but there's lots of detail on our website, presentations, contact information, details on our projects, everything's there. Greg, it's great to chat. Appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, looking forward to having you back. Uh, in the meantime, keep up the efforts and continue to build that value at Equinox. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Appreciate it.